You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark, Towner, just the three of us today. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful day. We uh, we get to some of us get to watch the Masters while we work, which is is a wonderful thing. Mark, how are you doing in your? I think you entered two Masters polls. I entered two Masters. How's polls. it going? I I had an original theory of how to pick the names. I I picked golfers whose names sounded like rock and roll stars. And on day one, I came up a, a little short. Uh, I'm in last place. I'm proud to say in both pools, but uh, I, they keep they play again today, right? So maybe four days, still, Mark. They do. They have four days. Four, four, days. Oh, four days. Yeah. Well, I, most I, of your I, golfers I, are only going to have two. So I, got, I thought you wanted to pile up points. Meanwhile, I, meanwhile, in in one Masters pool I've entered, it's Towner. It's got to be fixed. Jim Day, the Jim Davis Masters pool. Yeah, he's I saw well, that. if you notice it says Jim Davis three. So right. we don't know how many combinations of golfers he's entered in this pool, theoretically. We also don't know when the picks went in. No, I have no idea. Because he controls the pool. Yeah. And I mean he not let that, Mark put in picks late. Not that that's true. Violated the rules once already. Not that I would ever <laughs> accuse our friend and partner Jim Davis of Oh, fixing. I, I, I would. I would. You would. Okay. Yeah. On 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 this kind of thing, he's terribly honest when it comes to uh, when it comes to work, but uh, when it comes to play, sometimes you know he is a Carolina fan, so we have to we have to be careful. Well, I I did think being a lawyer by training, I did actually agree with Howard Towner that you uh, putting in the wrong name for one of your entrants disqualified you. Uh, yeah. So Ken Smith. Inaccurate yeah. scorecard disqualified. I yeah. will say for the record, for the record, the official document was attached to the email and the name was highlighted. It wasn't changed. And then I retyped it because I just wanted to make sure Jim didn't mess up anything clerically. And that's when I got autocorrected. Are you, are you suggesting Jim would mess up something clerically? <laughs> no, I would never. I would okay. never. I would so, never. But it is kind of interesting. I mean, I know this is a political podcast, not a sports podcast, although there are many times I think well, we wish it were a sports podcast. Yeah. And by the way, it half is because it's more fun to talk about sports and politics. But Well, then let's. Let's do opening day, opening day 2.0 for uh, the your Philadelphia Phillies at home with the Oakland Athletics tonight. Cool, there cool. But we were talking yesterday about Tiger because he had an amazing day yesterday, 14 months after coming back from shattering his leg and almost dying. And he's under par at the Masters. I mean, it's incredible. And we were debating who the most consequential sports figure is of all time, I guess. And that was the way I phrased the question. And it actually kind of is a political slash cultural topic, Mark, because I, I said, I think it's Tiger just because he's a singular athlete. And I was debating about Jordan and obviously he's iconic and incredible and the goat, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, but he, he also played a team sport. 
And I just think the way Tiger draws energy and eyeballs, and it is just something about the guy that is electric. And I, I mean, he's, he's incredible. He's, he's got a will to win. I mean, he's obviously got some demons too, but he's got a will to win. That's, that's, I think kind of unmatched Jordan-esque. Um, well, he's, he's, I think compelling was your word, actually, yeah. and and he is. Compelling. Was it compelling? Okay, I forgot my own word. Even for uh, non-golfers, as uh, our listeners now know, and uh, probably did before, I I am. But there is, it is a compelling story. I've I've watched more documentaries about Tiger Woods than I have watched Tiger Woods actually play in golf. <laughs> because his story is just so interesting and so compelling. And the impact that he had on his sport, he democratized golf, which was once the preserve of elites, white men mostly. And and it's a very different sport culturally now than than it was. Yeah. But but I'm gonna you, um, yeah. I'm you, gonna go with with Muhammad Ali for the most compelling sports yeah. figure of all time for for the reason that the most important act of Muhammad Ali's sports career was walking away from his sport for his religion for his political beliefs uh, for his his uh, racial beliefs and he I I I just think that he had the broadest impact of any athlete uh, uh, of at least uh, modern times. But but when you what's interesting to me, I thought about this after uh, we were having our text exchange, Howard. Isn't it interesting that the debate, at least among us, is is between two African American men? And yeah. that when you talk about the most compelling sports figure of all time, uh, you got to go way down the list to get to 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 a white guy. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Towner, don't say Coach K. Coach, don't K, even try. Easily, the number as one. Much, no, as much as I love the guy, so, no, and, and respect uh, him. You know, I, I I grappled with this as well. I actually didn't respond to the text chain because I didn't know what to respond to. Be because you were actually working. Well, yeah, I was working too, but, um, you know, one could argue if we're not looking from a domestic, you know, lens, if we're not looking from a U.S. centric lens that Pele may be the best, the most known oh, sport good one. of all time, for example, um, you know, but I was going back and forth because I think there's, um, I was thinking about two baseball players. I was thinking about Babe Ruth and then I was thinking about Jackie Robinson. And, and and I was thinking about the difference between those two and what they brought to the sport of baseball. Since yesterday was opening day and we we happened to be having this exchange during during opening day, it, it made me think of it. And um, Maybe. yeah, yeah, no. And so I, I, I being generations past Jackie Robinson, I'm not sure how this came to be, but we sort of celebrate Jackie Robinson as integrating all of sports now, it feels like, to a certain degree. Uh, it's not just baseball. We don't we don't celebrate each sports integration, and we should. We should know that history uh, inside and out for, for those of us that follow sports. Uh, but but Jackie Robinson, we hold up as as sort of the 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 prime example, if you will, of, of integration of sports. And um 
you know, I think, uh, I think for that reason, and to your point, Mark, about how we, we were looking down the list and we're seeing African-American athletes really in that top 10 or 20 that anybody would consider. Somebody's going to say coach K, somebody's going to say Tom Brady, but otherwise it's African-Americans for the most part. Um, and, you know, we look and and down that list and it, is in large part due to Jackie Robinson, um, you know, breaking the breaking the color barrier in, in baseball. I think it's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting how what we're talking about is kind of the melding of the athletic, cultural, political conversations. Because Mark, your point about Muhammad Ali is a political point, and if you look today at Um, Right now, as we speak, there's mental health legislation being considered in Congress. People seem to be of the view that it's the one, it's one of the bipartisan things that will happen this year during an election year, which is, it's hard to do. I think Naomi Osaka and, um, you know, some of the gymnastics uh, women and and others that have um, basketball players Kevin Love comes to mind, others like that have elevated the conversation, the cultural conversation around mental health mm-hmm. have had a absolute impact on the political conversation that we are yeah. swimming in every day. No, very true. I think the uh, Jackie Robinson uh, story counters an, uh, an outstanding example because I think not only do we think of him as having integrated sports at large, not just his sport, but we also think of him as part of the civil rights movement in a, in a broader sense. So he, his impact was clearly felt beyond Major League Baseball, widely, widely beyond Major League Baseball. And, and it's occurring to me uh, as we're talking how how timely uh, our conversation is as the uh, White House prepares for the swearing in of the first African-American woman on the Supreme Court. So the the Beltway brief, this is relevant hour to the Beltway briefing. We've, we've connected dots there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, symbolism matters and visibility matters and drives the conversation culturally and politically, which is, I think, the point um, yeah. I'm making, Towner. And it's yeah. um, same thing. I mean, the, the soon-to-be justice is obviously is a somewhat of a political figure, um, a political appointee, an appointee, a judicial appointee, um, a presidential appointee. But I... The, it you know it matters and it matters not just in terms of the visibility but also the perspective she'll bring to the bench and just everybody sees the world through the lens of their own experiences you always say this mark and you know you come at the world from the life you've lived and all you know ev- yeah everybody lives that's a different you know. life and bringing your unique perspective, a different perspective, a diverse perspective to whether it's a legal conversation or a policy conversation. It's what it's what makes this country tick. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. The conversations uh, come October in, in the Supreme Court will be different. 
yeah. and and different in a in a better way in the sense of of more diverse views and and what a docket they have coming up she is she is walking into the political thick of uh, of the court abortion affirmative action january 6th uh, and and more yeah. so the that it is a very uh, political time uh, there at the at the highest court. It, it, it's going to be fascinating, fascinating. To Connor, learn. you still can't try to say that Coach K is a more consequential figure Coach than most people most are talking about. Of all time. Well, I, I don't know why you guys well, have Are you talking, Connor, about his actual playing career at West Point? Is that what yeah. you're referring to? It was, it was magic. It was beautiful. We've gone back, got all the old films. Um, no, but, but Judge Jackson, Justice Jackson, uh, as of be. today... Yes. Um, you know, her influence on this country is just starting. Certainly she's had an incredible influence being a judge already and being a federal judge. Um, but we don't know what the makeup of the court's going to be in one year, much less 10 or 15 years. I mean, she could be chief justice, uh, Jackson at some point down the line. You, you have no clue. And so, um, her influence, I know a lot of a lot of folks uh, dismissed to a certain degree uh, her nomination and confirmation in the Senate because, hey, it's not going to change the ideological balance of the court. But, you know, the court changes over time. It's a it's a moving entity. And, and we saw that during the four years of Donald Trump's presidency. Nobody thought he was going to get three justices. I mean, that's quite ridiculous to think that. And we don't know what's going to happen uh, in the next five to 10 years. And, and her influence though we know is going to be felt on this on the Supreme Court on on a co-equal branch of government for another generation probably at minimum. Also people we've talked about this a lot on the Beltway briefing. People tend to the media especially tends to paint the court with a broad brush. And I remember sitting here before some of their consequential rulings um, about the election last year, two years ago, and um, some of what came before the court during Trump's tenure and and saying to you, Mark, don't assume that they're just going to, you know, that they're just going to follow a party line. And, and, and lo and behold, they didn't. And I mean, look at what Justice Chief Justice Roberts did on the ACA. Um, just as an example, it's it's well, not people like, paint the court like everything else with yeah. a broad brush and they all have their individual points of view. And it's not. Yes, there are ideological bents. Yes. In some senses, you can anticipate kind of where they're going to come out, but it ebbs and flows. We three are. uh, uh we have to be self-honest and say we are not the three most knowledgeable Supreme Court experts in Washington. But but having said that, we do know a little bit about advocacy. That is our business. And the, the politics of the Supreme Court, not Republican-Democrat politics, but the interpersonal politics at the Supreme Court will, will now change dramatically. Relationships get formed. Lo people lobby for votes on opinions. People have to convince one another of, of their view. And it, 
I, I wish I uh, could go back and, and clerk for Judge uh, Justice Jackson and get a little glimpse of that because she brings, as we were saying earlier, as you said earlier, Howard, she just simply brings a different life experience to this court than, than the eight justices sitting there. Yep. It'd be interesting. Very well, speaking, speaking of the Affordable Care Act, there was an <laughs> event this week at the White House uh, with former President Barack Obama. My wearing, wearing a tie. Wearing a tie, as opposed to the golf attire that I usually see him <laughs> in and out on the golf course. Yeah. Had to throw yeah. that in. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, it was, it was striking. First of all, he started his speech by thanking Vice President Biden, which was hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. And... God, Downer. I was just going to say, Howard, I mean, poor President Biden. Oh, you know, my God. Poor President Biden. I, he, President Biden had the same stature in that room with former President Obama that you have with former President Obama, like on the driving range. <laughs> I mean, you're like, uh, maybe a I, little bit more down here. <laughs> hi. I don't know. He's like, hi, like trying to get his attention. You know, hey, hey, how's it going? You know, that's like, I think mean, that's how Biden was in that room. And, you know, the, the poor video that was that was sent around of him trying to get his attention and has his hand on his shoulder for Biden has his hand on Obama's shoulder. I mean, you know, it was done to to boost morale. Going into yeah. going into um, you know what what appears to be a, a bad election season, but uh, uh, the only morale it didn't boost it seems was probably Biden's. Every joke has a grain of truth, Mark, and Obama said that. I mean, it was very funny, but man, to Towner's point, well, the visual was not good for the president. <laughs> it just uh, he he. He looked like the junior partner or or the associate in in the law firm. Yeah. With the, the funny thing him. is, but Obama that's uh, Obama's um, charisma. He he has yeah. he he remains a very cool guy. But the funny thing is, he's the one that actually would rather not talk to anybody. Biden yeah. would rather talk yeah. to everybody. Absolutely, Obama, like just wants to be alone. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's I, it's funny. Two things yeah. hit me to that point, Howard. You know, back in the day, we we signed into law the Able Act, and it was a, it's a bill that created five twenty nine saving accounts for uh, for families who have children with disabilities. Uh, phenomenal piece of legislation, uh, changed a lot of lives over the last ten years or so. Obama wouldn't do. It was during Obama's presidency. President Obama would not do a signing ceremony for us at the White House. And so Biden stepped up as vice president and said, I would love to do a signing ceremony. And so we went to the old executive office building. We had, I don't know, several dozen families with kids with severe autism and Down syndrome. And we had all the members of Congress who sponsored the legislation. And VP Biden at the time spoke for 45 minutes. He was way late to whatever he was going to be doing next and then insisted on talking to each and every family individually, taking a picture with them, talking to these kids that had Down syndrome and autism. I, I got a soft spot for for now, President Biden, I, I'm because of that event. He took the time 
And, you know, what what I hoped would be, you know, sort of Biden's moment to be in the in the sun a little bit with Obama in the room. I actually putting party aside, I hoped for this for Biden. And I came away from it, unfortunately, thinking, man, Obama looks cooler than he's ever looked before. And Biden looks older than he's ever looked before. Yeah, and yeah, the, the visual was was bad on the age thing. They 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 looked fifty years apart. But it helps to look cool when you play golf every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, it's I very interesting. To too, big for two, two yeah. thoughts about that story, Towner. Uh, I was very privileged to be at the signing of the Affordable Care Act, and President Obama did not make sure to talk to everyone. He, in fact. Uh, talked to very few folks. He 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 was above. He was above it. That that's the theme of his presidency. He paid a price for being above it. By the way, would have been maybe a different president had he been been more in in the fray with Congress in in any event. But but the the thought that I had watching the whole thing, in addition to the bad visual for poor poor Joe. Um, this is his legacy. It, it's not a coincidence that this is what he came back to the White House for. You wouldn't have gotten him back for for much else, I don't think. The Affordable Care Act is the signature achievement of the Obama presidency after, um, what are we now, 12 years, right? Uh, it's as much a part of American laws, Medicare and Medicaid, despite a decade of repeal efforts. And and I, for one, having been a tiny, small, way off in the corner part of it originally, I thought he looked proud up there, cool and proud. Yeah, and he should. I mean, yeah. by the way, I mean, I think about this from time to time. I think about it often, actually. There are only 46 unfortunately, men that have been president of the United States. Like, they're all consequential. They're all compelling. They're in their own way. I mean, the last guy I could have done without. But, and Joe Biden is a, he's a fine president. He's a, he's a, he's a moral guy. He's a good representative of this country. He's actually... I mean, I can't stand the let's go Brandon nonsense. I can't stand it because he's the leader of this country and frankly, the leader of the free world. And we could do a hell of a lot worse. I mean, Obama may be a more electric, more I mean, Obama is a more compelling figure to go back to the sports conversation. No question. He says he's that's historical on a whole different level. But Biden, every everybody that has this job is to use the wrong word, consequential. Everybody that has this job is consequential. I mean, that's a, that's the understatement of the of the century. And Biden, we can do a hell of a lot worse, well, especially very- given politics today. Well, and especially given the the world today. I was talking with. Uh, a friend of mine, a long time Washington hand type. And we were saying last night, you know, we think, I think you two would probably agree 
that the most important challenge of Biden's presidency so far is Ukraine. We think that he is doing a good job, maybe a great job in the most important challenge of his presidency. And he is getting no credit for it because the visuals and the sound bites are, are bad. Gas prices are crushing his his already low standing. And I obviously inflation, gas prices, supply chain are dark kitchen table issues, but I, I'm grateful that Joe Biden is president at this time. How, how's that for uh, my talking point? In, including the last two, three, go back, go back. He, uh, he is better suited for the biggest challenge uh, of our time than, than most of his predecessors. So I, you know, my, my personal feelings on this are, I like Joe Biden. I've always liked Joe Biden, the person. I don't like the people that are around Joe Biden. I think if Joe Biden had his way, had his, you know, was his own negotiator on so many of these issues, that this country would be better off. I think as a result of of him, I believe, being pushed to the left by domestically by his staff, he is not going to realize the potential of his presidency because it is going to come into conflict. Uh, from a political standpoint, as opposed to as opposed to being a a something that that builds together that can build a bridge, whether or not Republicans are willing even to accept that bridge, I don't know. But I think Joe Biden could be could be the build br- the uh, bridge builder at the end of the day. I trust him mostly from a foreign policy stance. I have had. Uh, disagreements with him in the past, not that he knows about it, but I have had disagreements with him in the past on on things like, like Towner. He he knows now. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's listening. I, I yeah, I'm sure he I'm listens. sure he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> but from a foreign policy standpoint, we've had disagreements, but at least he's thoughtful about it, and that's all I can ask. Um, and you know, the bottom line though is that I think now he is viewed essentially as a steward of that office and not proactive in that office because I think that he gets pushed left domestically and now he's going to be consumed by Ukraine. And that frustrates me a little bit because I actually had high hopes for uh, for the, the middle coming back uh, during his presidency. Mark, part of the reason he's not more or he's not getting more credit is that there's a ceiling on the credit he could get because the country is so polarized. You know, his approval ratings are essentially on par with Trump's approval ratings, and that's because of that ceiling. And it's, um, it's, it, I think it's more a sign of the times. I mean, obviously, from a policy point of view, with inflation, notwithstanding that everybody or most people can find a job and the economy in many respects is doing well, it's a muddled picture because it costs more money to put food on the table in part because everybody can find a job and there's a labor shortage and that drives up wages, which makes things more expensive. So we're in a little bit of a vicious cycle, but I think it's more the polarization than it is anything that's a ceiling well, on I, his I, no, popularity. I, uh, the polarization is, is clearly uh, a ceiling. I'm not sure he, he's, quite at the ceiling, but 
but there's not a lot of room to grow with the there's a there's a narrow bandwidth i i think also uh this has been my view really from from the very beginning uh i the one thing i don't think he has done a, a great job of is convincing uh, the american people that ukraine matters a lot to us i think I think even if people look at him and look at the war and say, yeah, he's doing okay, but but I, I'm sorry it's happening. I care a lot more about what I'm paying for food when I go to the grocery yeah. store. Yeah, which is reasonable. Well, well reasonable. yes and no. Of course it's reasonable unless, unless the president convinces you that it matters. Yeah. And that a sacrifice is in order. We're not great at sacrificing as a nation. No, uh, no we're not. We're kind of and, living the moment. And he's not, he's not calling uh, on us for that. That If he is listening, Mr. President, if you are listening, uh, forgive Towner for his disagreements. He's very sincere in his political beliefs. They're just misguided. <laughs> <laughs> but but you got to convince the country that this matters because yeah. without it without it nobody's going to follow. So, Mark, I, President Biden right now is probably watching. He's probably on Masters.com. <laughs> it's fair to say, uh, and at least he's got it on in the background. And Mark, As I want to know: encounter, right? are, you are you guys sticking... right now? Oh. Of course I have it on another computer while we're yeah. don't you see me looking like this? Yeah, I thought you were looking for the Jake and the trumpet, but no, he's he's not here. But Mark, are you I, the world wants to know, are you sticking with Mike Weir, cousin of Bob Weir? Absolutely. As your master's pick. Absolutely. <laughs> Anybody related to Bob Weir, it has my <laughs> I'm going with that. And Tommy uh, Fleetwood, brother of Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. I I think uh, you it's a four day turn. I thought I thought you picked Tommy Fleetwood because of the hair. Uh, he has hair. I, I don't he, know. Has, he has hair that's a, even a lot longer than yours. Yes. You didn't oh, know that, Mark? Oh. I did not know that. Oh, no, I did not. I'm going to have to. I told you yesterday, Howard. I hope he makes the cut because I start watching on Saturday. Mark, so I'll look, I'll look for Tommy tomorrow. Mark uh, picked, picked Jack Nicholas and couldn't figure out why he didn't play a second shot on the first day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was confusing. It's a very complicated sport, golf. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right well on that note interesting conversation interesting go, go minnesota state that's all I there have. you go frozen <laughs> four it's interesting to connect and it's a lot of what we do connecting the cultural conversation to the political conversation and interesting conversation guys have a great weekend and we will be back next week You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.